and welcome to Catholic Answers Live. It's Friday, and it's a really, really good Friday. We have got a great program for you. Uh, as, as, as a matter of fact, I don't want this week to end, Marie. You did a great job uh, this week getting a lot of wonderful guests. And I, uh, in the second hour today, I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about your death. And it's amazing how talking about your death can really bring life uh, to your life. It can really uh, refocus uh, the mind and the spirit. And so we'll talk a bit about Memento Mori, the second hour. This hour, well, we're going to talk about what is probably uh, what may well be uh, the most urgent, most grave moral consideration of our time as we continue. I'm one of those slippery slope people. I, I believe in slippery slopes, and uh, I, I know people get made fun of for believing in slippery slopes, but. Uh, it seems to me uh, we are on uh, our foot is uh, firmly planted in unfirm places where we are in danger of slipping down into uh, greater and greater depravities. And eugenics is one of those areas uh, where uh, the, the increasing embrace of, eugen- of a, a kind of what I might call a eugenic mentality uh, is a terrible, horrible danger for our culture, for our future, for our children, for other people's children. Uh, if you'd like to talk about uh, eugenics, we're going to talk a bit about eugenics and its relationship with contraception this hour. 888-318-7884 is the number. 888-318-7884. We invite you to get in on the conversation. And you are always welcome, whether you're Catholic or not, whether you're Christian or not. You may, in fact, be a person who... Uh, uh, is more comfortable than we are with the idea of eugenics. We'd love to talk with you as well. 888-318-7884. To help us do that, Dr. Angela Franks, a theologian, speaker, writer, mother of six. She serves as professor of theology at St. John's Seminary in Boston. Uh, the author of uh, several books, including one, a couple of books, one on uh, eugenics and one on contraception. Uh, Margaret Sanger's Eugenic Legacy, uh, one of the books I imagine we will refer to. Dr. Angela Franks, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. Am I wrong uh, about the the gravity of the growing embrace of a eugenics uh, mentality? No, I'm I'm also a slippery slope person, I think. Um, And so we we see it in the history that I lay out in my book on Sanger that that you get used to worse things as you know, you get used to bad things, like it's, it just kind of prepares you for worse things. And so I think we're, um, we are still stuck in eugenic mindset. And that's a real problem. Uh, Adolf Hitler cured a lot of people of the eugenic mindset for a while, it seems, because people went, oh, if we go down that road, that is not a road we want to go down to. Is, is that correct? Yeah, it was eugenics was a really respectable way of thinking in the academy and government, you know, pretty much in any elite circles. It was very respectable, it was really expected to be eugenicist in the 20s and the 30s and even in through the early and mid 40s. But once people learned the full extent of what Hitler was doing, you know, you, you see it in the documents that I would read in the archives where the eugenics organizations would be scrambling now to redefine themselves, rename themselves and so forth. And so it certainly did take a dive after um, Hitler and fortunately after his defeat. Um, but um, really, it repackaged itself. And um, what's also in the, the archives is that um, the, the savvier people realized that eugenics could repackage itself, first of all, globally as population control, which it was, in right. fact, already doing. But then domestically, um, through 
things like um, selection, selective abortions after um, prenatal testing and through, in general, contraception and abortion. 888-318-7884 is our number. Dr. Angela Franks uh, is here to speak with us about eugenics and contraception. So maybe uh, give us uh, the, the basic description of what eugenics is for those who don't know or maybe have only seen it repackaged as population control. What is eugenics? Eugenics, the the word means good genes, good genome. And so the idea behind eugenics is that um, you can eliminate problems by eliminating people with genes that predispose them to problems. Um, And so originally this was seen as, well, we'll do this through things like contraception and sterilization. Um, It took a few decades before people would accept abortion as one of those means. But now, and then, of course, with Hitler, and now also things like euthanasia, and so getting both the the old and the young. Um, the idea being that we, so the, the mindset still that we have is that we can solve problems like poverty, like disease and disability, um, crime. We can solve these problems by eliminating the people with genetic or environmental predispositions to have the problems. Uh, I think it is fair to say as well that in, as you said, the early part of the 20th century, as eugenics was thought uh, very respectable, uh, prominent Catholic leaders were always opposed to uh, eugenics. It has always uh, been... uh, I mean, thinking of the of the Bishop of Munster in um, in Germany who stood up against Hitler's eugenics plans, but popes and and professors and priests uh, and women religious stood up against this eugenic mentality. That that was always understood very clearly by people who are in favor of eugenics. That the the Catholic Church was the enemy, and um, they had to negotiate around the Catholic Church somehow. And so sometimes that meant. Um, infiltrating in a sense. And so the Rockefeller Foundation on population control, contraception and eugenics um, would do things like sponsor conferences at Notre Dame or try to, you know, try to fund theologians who might get the church to to reconsider things. Um, so there are different ways people, you know, try to deal with this Catholic problem. But um, you see it in the encyclical Casti Canubi in the early 30s and just in general that um, Catholic the Catholic leadership was clear on eugenics and and also on the connection between eugenics and contraception. Um, when the Anglicans were debating contraception and when they finally, in I think it's 1932 at the Lambeth um, con- conference, when they um, approved of contraceptive use in limited cases and so forth, um, a lot of the debate centered around the eugenic value of contraception and that, you know, we can't, as modern Anglicans, we can't close our eyes to the fact that science says that this is how we need to address these social issues. And so while other denominations are starting to fold, um, the Catholic Church didn't, and that was that was always um, recognized as a problem by the eugenicists. Again, our number is 888-318-7884. We welcome your call. What, however, whichever side you might come down on uh, this issue, we try to have civil conversations. Uh, 888-318-7884. So what is the connection between contraception and eugenics? Why, why do we make that? Because actually, we're very comfortable with contraception in the world today. It's, it's, all, it's almost uh, thought that you are are a troglodyte or something if you don't accept the contraceptive idea. What's the connection between these two thoughts? 
So there, there's a historical connection and there's a conceptual connection, right? There's like the link that you can make in your mind. So the historical connection is that, in fact, um, almost all of the major promoters of contraception um, included eugenics as a at least a partial and sometimes even an almost total reason for having contraception legalized and having it made available. Um, so there's this historical connection. Well, so like, why would they do that? Like, what's the conceptual connection between the two. And so with somebody like Margaret Sanger, who was um, the founder of Planned Parenthood in 1918, um, oh no, 1916, excuse me. Um, so for Sanger, it was this idea of control. It's what I call an, an ideology or mentality of control that in order to have eugenic control, so to keep the so-called unfit from reproducing, in order to have population control, so to not have too many of the wrong kinds of people, um, you needed birth control. And so Sanger actually promoted the term birth control, which wasn't the most common term being used for contraception. She promoted it precisely because she saw so clearly that it was the way to get the kind of control over the population that she wanted. Dr. Angela Franks is our guest. Our number 888-318-7884, 888-31-TRUTH. You're uh, welcome to call with your questions. Uh, I have to take a quick break, and then we will come back uh, to take calls for Dr. Angela Franks. Uh, 888-318-7884. Before we go, and I'm pretty sure this is illegal, uh, what they're asking me to do, Nick. We have a friends and family plan. I know that someone has copyrighted that. We can't possibly be in the clear using that. Uh, But we have the friends and family plan at shop.catholic.com. What that means is they give you 50% off your order when you buy a five-pack of items for friends and family. There's a whole bunch of things that you can buy to throw in that friends and family pack. Shop.catholic.com, 50% off right now on the friends and family pack. Catch Catholic Answers live anytime at catholic.com. Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. On the web at realestateforlife.org. Are you a coffee drinker? If so, you can now enjoy a coffee roasted to perfection by the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. Delicious Mystic Monk coffee is roasted and prepared by monks in a hidden cloistered monastery and is available in over 25 varieties. All Mystic Monk coffees are works of perfection and labors of love. For more information on how to purchase Mystic Monk coffee, visit mysticmonkcoffee.com. That's mysticmonkcoffee.com. Now, not only can you watch EWTN anywhere, but anytime with EWTN On Demand. Get on-demand access to more than 12,000 EWTN programs, including live shows and specials, all in one place, all free. Just go to EWTN.com forward slash On Demand. There's nothing to fill out, no memberships required, and no fees to pay. All you need is an internet connection, and you're good to go. EWTN On Demand. Fast, easy, and free. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host uh, on this day that we celebrate uh, the anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision among, uh, you know, you'd probably put Korematsu in there. You'd put a couple other, uh, you'd, you'd definitely put um, uh, the, uh, what was the, Roger Tanney, the slavery one. I can't remember, but the, the uh, I'm forgetting the name of the case now. What's it called? 
Dred Scott. Dred Scott. Yes, thank you. I don't know why it went out of my head. Uh, but you'd certainly put uh, the Roe versus Wade decision up there among the worst uh, decisions uh, of a court in the history of the United States. Uh, please, God, it will be overturned before too long. But uh, that even overturning that case uh, doesn't end a, a great battle that's going on in our culture about uh, human life and about the meaning of human life. And so we see a growing... Uh, uh, acceptance of a eugenics mentality that we need to cl- straighten out the gene pool of the human race. Uh, and uh, among the ways to do that, uh, as our guest, Dr. Angela Franks, has bes- just been describing to us uh, is contraception. Abortion is also certainly part of, uh, well, for, I, I suppose there's two ways. One, one, two ways to think about this. One, accepting abortion m- means uh, that you're that you're already on the road to accepting eugenics, but also uh, eugenics, uh, one of the ways of accomplishing the eugenic task is abortion. Yeah, and so that, um, actually Alan Guttmacher, who worked with Planned Parenthood for a long time, um, recognized that really early. So he was advocating for abortion in the 40s, 1940s, when not a lot of people were that bold. Precisely because it was such an inefficient means of um, eugenic control, he worked for a while in poorer neighborhoods in Baltimore, I think it was. And and his wife said in an interview, oh, yeah, you know, we would see, you know, that the poor families were having more kids than they should. And like they wanted abortion and contraception as a essentially a solution to poverty. So it's it's uh, like a lot of people wouldn't consider themselves eugenicists. They wouldn't identify as a eugenicist, but the the mentality that we deal with human problems by eliminating the people who would have those problems, that's a eugenic mentality because it says the problems have their root in the people somehow in some kind of innate, you know, deterministic way, you know, if um, instead of recognizing that there's other better ways to deal with poverty or um, with um, disability or, and, you know, yeah. that instead of killing people with disabilities, um, which in fact they've mostly done in Iceland, for example, like, I don't think there's been, uh, been down syndrome children in Iceland, I think for a long time. Right. So like, right. that's one way of solving the problem of disability, but it, of course, isn't solving it at all. It's, it's just addressing, um, it's, it's like a shortcut, right. And, and we love shortcuts, but, um, yeah. it's this, brutal, violent shortcuts. So that's our, that's what we do in this society. It's a kind of, um, uh, market based eugenics now though, right? Like you'd almost say the old eugenics is a socialist eugenics. The government would accomplish this. Now we sell it to people as a good that, you know, well, you know, you should get rid of this child. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's by a lot of individual choices that we are missing many beautiful, brothers and sisters who have Down syndrome. They're just not here with us in the world, not because the government says they can't, but because we've sold a eugenic mentality to individuals. Yeah. I mean, there are a few laws in the books, maybe state laws, I think that, um, and certainly different countries have some laws that um, promote eugenic abortion in the case of disability. But you're right. It's not a Um, It's not like the Nazis are pounding on our door demanding that we do anything. Um, We're doing it because we want to escape what we consider to be a grave difficulty or grave expense or, um, you know, like we're it's it's coming out of this, you know, bottom up. 
a bottom-up phenomenon instead of this top-down phenomenon. And and that's the kind of thing that John Paul II called a culture of death. That's what he meant by a culture of death, that right. obviously government plays a role, and we know that with with laws that they do educate people's morality. So government plays a role, but it's a lot broader than just what our laws are. It has to do with how we think and um, how we form our institutions and how we view people and society. 888-3187-884. We're talking about eugenics and contraception uh, this hour with our guest, Dr. Angela Franks. Uh, the uh, You can't talk about this without at least mentioning one time racism, that the there's a racist element to the eugenic, eugenic mentality. Yeah. And it's, it's different depending. So, you know, a lot of people, because of Nazism just immediately equated eugenics with just straight up anti-Semitism um, yeah. or like a, a, especially a virulent version of it. Um, and that narrative doesn't fit the historical facts because, for example, Sanger's um, doctors that worked in her first clinics, there was a husband wife couple that were Jewish and they were also eugenicists. They like published in eugenic magazines and that kind of thing. And so um, so it's not a simple like racism is a is a distinct phenomenon from eugenics, but um, the, I think <laughs> you might find eugenicists who don't include race, and so they're not ah, yeah. racist, right. but you're not probably not going to find racists who aren't eugenicists. So in that sense, there, excuse me, in that sense, there can be a lot of overlap um, between the two, but, um, but it, the, it bleeds so easily into racism because eugenics is this mentality that you have to measure up in some kind of biological or quantifiable way. And so the quantifiable way might be, you know, an IQ test or um, an ability to earn a certain income or, you know, something like that, which is just so similar to a racist mentality, which says you have to measure up by being a certain race. And like in, in all of these isms, they um, refuse to recognize that the human person has a dignity that's inalienable, that's given by God, and that's not dependent on anything that's quantifiable or or extraneous or extrinsic like like race or IQ or whatever. 888-3187-884. You've written a book, uh, Dr. Angela Franks, uh, about uh, Margaret Sanger. Uh, she's the founder of Planned Parenthood. Uh, there's some fractures in the the comfort level with Margaret Sanger at some Planned Parenthood planned Planned Parenthood locations, however. Yeah, it's really we had this really interesting phenomenon this summer where the Manhattan affiliate of Planned Parenthood, as far as I can tell, went rogue. <laughs> I don't think this was a top down order. I think they went rogue and um, said, basically admitted that Sanger was a eugenicist, that she was a liability to the organization that they needed to just cut ties. I mean, obviously she's been dead for, for decades, but they're still giving, or at least they have been giving Margaret Sanger awards. I think they call them the Maggie award to people that, you know, like Hillary Clinton got one, one yeah. year, people that they wanted to honor. And, and they always, always use for their fundraising, the fact that they are the oldest American reproductive rights organization, because they trace their founding back to 1916, when Sanger founded that first birth control clinic, but that means by by claiming that mantle of, you know, we've been here the longest, they're also claiming that they're that eugenic organization that Sanger founded. And when she said all those eugenic things in the teens and 20s and 30s, she was saying it as their leader. And so you can't have it both ways. And um, 
of course, like nothing will really change in Planned Parenthood until it gets out of minority neighborhoods and, you know, stops targeting minority and poor people, which is really the the residue of Sanger's eugenic legacy of Sanger's eugenic thinking. And they're not willing to do that yet. But there has been this reckoning, at least beginning with with their history, which is a good thing. Uh, Again, our number 888-318-7884. Dr. Angela Franks is our guest. She is a theologian, speaker, and writer and professor of theology at St. John's Seminary in Boston, which makes you feel good about the formation of priests in Boston. They must be doing something right there. Uh, She's uh, written a couple of... Well, one of the books is Margaret Sanger's Eugenic Legacy, uh, The Control of Female Fertility. The other book, uh, Dr. Franks, you're going to have to remind me of. I forgot. Contraception and Catholicism. Contraception and Catholicism. Okay, so that gives me a, an opening to ask you what I wanted to ask. Okay, we need a vision that's that uh, that is that's counter to the eugenic vision, then, because it is a very tempting vision in a way. It's a it's a the eugenic view is one where maybe the person might say there'll be a much less suffering in the world. Uh, the the human genome is improved. Uh, People have proposed it as, as you said, like in Iceland, we've cured. They actually have said this, the Icelandic government, we've cured Down syndrome. We have no cases of Down syndrome. There, you can see why that's seductive. What is the contrary Catholic vision that can can compete with that? The, the alternative, I think, is really between this mentality of control and a mentality of receptivity. It's those are really our alternatives, and it and it has to do with how we view the body in general. Um, it's not only, but I think fertility is an especially neuralgic point. It's like a really sensitive topic for a lot of people because when it comes to your fertility, you're talking about your future. You're talking about how you're going to spend your time for you know at least six years before your kid goes to school or something like that. I mean, it's it's talking about it affects your finances. And so it's something that is very personal to people. And so it's in a sense, the last holdout in um, for even even for Christians in trusting God, right? It's like, I'll maybe trust God with all the other things in my life, but I'm going to hold on tight to my fertility because like that's, you know, the thing that really matters. and so we we try to manage our fertility chemically or technologically. Um, but the thing is, first of all, it doesn't work 100%. I mean, contraception fails all the time, which is one reason why in, increased contraceptive use is correlated with increased abortion because contraceptive fit, contraceptions uh, fail. So there's that. But it's also this larger mentality that, you know, really views the body as a as a technological problem to solve. Yeah. And that's just not an adequate understanding of the human body. Um, if, you know, it's like a, it's this very um, materialistic understanding of, of what it means to have a body, to be embodied. And so what the church proposes instead is this receptivity, which means first and foremost, we're accepting our body and the fact that it has qualities like, hopefully if you're healthy and everything's working, fertility, right? Like fertility is a sign of the health of your reproductive system. And instead of fighting, fighting, fighting technologically the way we do with contraception, what the church proposes is that we accept it 
and work with it, which is what something like natural family planning tries to do, or instead of just trying to shut down the body's fertility technologically, it tries to work with the body's fertility and work with the periods of infertility in order to to time sexual intercourse. And so to to have some um, measure of... um, of knowledge, you know, and knowing what's going on with your body, um, but still really being open to the fact that as a fertile human being, one, a woman might get pregnant. And, and that's, um, it's a much better attitude to have that acceptance of that fact than to just be fighting it all the time. And pregnancy is a feature, not a bug. Of a, of a woman. <laughs> that is not, yeah. Yeah. It's not a disease, you right. know, and, yeah. and it's, you know, it's, it's sometimes talked about in literature and especially population control literature as a disease, really. And it's not, as I think as Janet Smith says, you know, conceiving a baby means something's gone right with the act of sex, not that something's gone wrong. And so as adults, this is a very John Paul II kind of idea as, as responsible, intelligent adults, what we what we have an obligation to do is to accept the fact that a fertile human being might actually get pregnant. A fertile woman might get pregnant and work with that instead of just pretending like it's something that just shouldn't happen to me just because I don't want it to happen to me. 888-318-7884 is our number. 888-318-7884. Our guest is Dr. Angela Franks. We're talking about eugenics and contraception. And I can tell you what ha- what's happening. And it, will ha- it always happens on these shows where we uh, talk about these um, intellectually and morally challenging topics. It's going to be one million calls in the last 15 minutes. So I'm telling you, call now. Pick up. The- We're going to take a little break. Perfect time to pick up the phone and call with your question for Dr. Angela Frank. She's a professor of theology at St. John's Seminary in Boston. Eugenics and contraception is our topic. Triple Eight Thirty One Truth. We're waiting for your call. Grab that line and get on board. To many people, even many Christians, purgatory is a fantasy. Or worse, a wicked lie invented by the church to make salvation complicated and keep people in fear. But I'm here to tell you that purgatory is fact, not fiction. The Bible supports it, Christians have historically believed in it, and it makes theological sense. In my new book, Purgatory is for Real, I provide the evidence and reasoning to help you understand this controversial doctrine and demonstrate how it's actually a joyful, hopeful reality, not something shadowy and mysterious, but a sign of God's love and mercy. To get your copy of Purgatory is for Real, visit shop.catholic.com today or ask for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Did you know you can access Catholic Answers Live right from your phone or other mobile device? Download the Catholic Answers Live app today. The Catholic Answers Live app, available now on iOS and Android. Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas, is one of the most courageous leaders in the church, known for his outspoken support of unborn life, orthodox faith and morals, and reforming Catholic institutions. In his groundbreaking new book, Light and Leaven, He offers a forthright perspective on the state of the church today and calls on the lay faithful to meet its challenges boldly. Touching on topics including parish renewal, the centrality of the Eucharist, the need for prayer and silence in a noisy and distracted age, and the battle between good and evil in the church and world, 
Bishop Strickland's wise insights and evident love for souls will inspire and edify you. To order your copy of Light and Leaven, visit shop.catholic.com today or ask for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. We've got a Superstar uh, Friday lineup for you. In the second hour, we're going to talk about something that you might think, well, that's not something I want to uh, think about or talk about. We're going to talk about your death. Uh, and we're going to talk about the long Catholic tradition of memento memori, remembering your death, uh, and uh, how that tradition actually brings a great deal of vibrancy to each day. Uh, it's actually a very helpful spiritual practice, and we'll talk about that uh, with a former atheist, now uh, Pauline's sister, who is promoting the idea of memento mori. This hour, we're talking about the eugenics mentality. We're talking about eugenics and contraception with our guest, Dr. Angela Franks, who teaches theology at St. John's Seminary in Boston. Uh, there are tons and tons of people on the line, uh, a fact that I did not know about when I went to the break, so I apologize, Dr. Franks. All these people have been waiting to talk to you, and I didn't realize. Let's go to Elizabeth in St. Petersburg. Florida, listening on the EWTN app. Elizabeth, go ahead with your question for Dr. Angela Franks. Hello. Uh, I am 55 years old. I've been diagnosed with MS since I was 30. I'm living out of a power chair. Sometimes I can transfer to bed or into the bathroom, but sometimes I almost fall down and I get to know the fire department guys that come and help me out. Oh, yeah. So people around me, I mean, they say, oh, no, you don't have anything to worry about. Nobody's going to convince you to euthanize yourself. You know, I will have bad moments, very dark moments where I'll say, I'm done. I am done. And when, when you go and have those dark moments, dark moods, you're going to be easily convinced you're going to do everybody a favor and sign off and let them euthanize me. I live alone. You know, I, I've got to get long-term care in, uh, um, but, but I'm frightened because it could be me. Elizabeth, God bless you. Thank you for that call. I'm going to let Dr. Franks respond, and we'll come back to you, Elizabeth. Dr. Franks, your response to Elizabeth? Yeah, thank you so much. Elizabeth, you put that so well, that that's exactly the problem with things like physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia is that people who are sick and who might be, um, you know, or depressed sometimes, sometimes um, there's depression that comes along with serious disability or illness that's not getting treated, um, that those people can be very vulnerable to being persuaded to to do the easy thing. And, and, and it's, they're often concerned about other people con, you know, that other people will find me a burden. And so, um, the first thing I want to say is that, um, we all have the right to be a burden on other people. Um, we have been a burden on other people. We will continue to be a burden on other people. Like it, there's no, nobody can say that, well, I don't want anybody to ever be a burden on me. Like, you're just not allowed to say that. It's part of being human that we're in this, this thing together. Um, 
one really important thing for people in your situation, I think, would be um, to find someone. Maybe it might be through your larger Catholic circle if you're Catholic, or people, you know, if you know people of faith, to find someone who might be willing to be your healthcare proxy. Um, it does not have to be a family member, especially if you're worried about what a family member might do. And a healthcare proxy is someone who, um, if you're incapacitated or ruled to be unable to make your own decisions, they'll be able to make those for you legally. It needs to be somebody, though, who's got a pretty strong spine and who knows your convictions about um, wanting to live and who's going to really be willing to go to bat for you in those kinds of situations. So that's probably the single most important thing you can do. Um, and the second thing you might consider is trying to find a disability um, advocacy organization. There used to be a group not dead yet. I don't know if they're still around, but that um, people who are disabled who really advocate for the rights of people with disabilities. Elizabeth, how does all that sit with you? That's great. That's great. It, it, it gives me uh, a direction where I will feel safer and and not have those dark moods so often if I know I can build myself a support system. Well, uh, praise God for that. I really have to say, Elizabeth, too, thank you so much for calling because uh, your voice is extremely important in breaking through, I think, some of the willful blindness we have around physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia and just refusing to see in our society uh, what that does to people like yourself suffering from uh, multiple sclerosis and uh, the, the fear and insecurity. And, and, and really, it represents a cruelty. So, Elizabeth, thank you very much for your call. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Angela Franks is our guest. We're talking about the eugenics mentality, the growing eugenics mentality, and it is all interrelated, isn't it? With the, we, we, you can't talk about it with you end up talking about abortion, you end up talking about contraception, and now you end up talking about euthanasia and suicide. It is, it's of a piece. Yeah, that's, again, it's that culture of death thing. John Paul II really understood it. He did indeed, yeah. Micah in Georgia, next, listening on AM 690. Micah, are you there with us? Hi, I am. Uh, thank you very much for your call. Go ahead with your question for our guest, Dr. Angela Franks. Okay. Um, hi, Dr. Franks. I just want to say I think you're very brilliant and really been enjoying listening to you. Um, I would, I'd like to ask you a question about um, overpopulation because I think that that's an important factor in this discussion. So uh, in modern times, isn't birth control a logical defense against overpopulation because the earth does have very finite resources such as land and food and I feel like we'll soon see the consequences of unchecked growth um, if those things aren't taken into consideration so I was wondering how this fits into your um, perspective hello okay thank you Micah Dr. Yeah. Franks great that's it that's a great question. So, um, yeah, an overpopulation was a huge motivation, especially beginning in the 60s and 70s, though it, people are already talking about overpopulation in the 1920s. Um, and it's interesting that the overpopulation organizations were headed by the same people who headed the eugenics organization. So that already should give us pause, that it was the same people concerned, supposedly. So, you know, they saw... Oh, population control is eugenics with a passport. So so there's that historical fact. But to get to like the more factual question you're asking, um, 
what we find is that when you have situations of, for example, famine or so where where resources aren't getting to people, it's usually not the case that there is simply just insufficient resources, period. Like there's just not enough food. Um, there usually is enough food because some countries that have organized and advanced agriculture produce a surplus of food. They pr they're producing more food that they can than they need to feed their own people. Um, and so the problem is mostly a matter of distribution of those resources. And usually what happens, famines tend to be really devastating and deadly when there are either oppressive governments in place that are not that are keeping the resources from getting to the people or just don't have the infrastructure to to try to do it or when there's cases of war especially civil war and often in cases of civil war one side will use a famine to try to essentially um, undermine and kill the the other side and so um, even with our current population, um, we don't actually have insufficient resources to feed everyone, um, which is great news. You know, like, like it used to be predicted, Malthus back in the 18th and 19th century said that, well, um, at some point, our rate of food production is going to be outstripped by our population growth. And that prediction was not even true in his own lifetime because there was an agricultural scientific revolution in his own lifetime. And it is much less true today that we really um, have been um, blessed to have the the advancements that can feed the world's population. Uh, Micah, I'm interested in your response to that. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I would say that that fits in with the um, the response to, Mal to Malthus, which would be the cornucopia theory, which says that human ingenuity will um, overtake any, like, population constraints, like, with food. So that does make sense. Um, but I guess with like an unchecked population growth, you know, in a world that didn't have birth control, I would still be worried about like the outbreak of a disease and, and whatnot. But I suppose maybe science could uh, reach, you know, would meet the challenge perhaps. Dr. Franks? Yeah. Yeah, that's so it's often happened that science has met the challenge. Another interesting thing to contemplate is that some of the places in the world that have the highest population density, which means the most number of people per square foot or square mile, um, those places include places like Great Britain, <laughs> um, Japan, uh, no, not Japan anymore, but um like Taiwan, you know, it's places often that are islands. So, you know, it makes sense that the population density be very high. But those are not places that we think of as places that are falling prey to disease and destitution and because of their population density. So um, population density per se does not actually lead to those problems. Um, it doesn't necessarily lead to environmental destruction because um, environmental destruction often depends on the kind of government that's um, there and the kind of um, the kind of um, controls that they have on things like air quality and waste distribution and so forth. So um, it's interesting that there's not actually 
that kind of correlation that we were taught to think there was between high population density and um, disease and destitution. I, thank you, Micah, so much for the call. Dr. Franks, I have become convinced in my own life because I, you know, as a child of the late 60s, early 70s, watching Walter Cronkite on the CBS News night after night talk about the population bomb, Paul Ehrlich's uh, book, and then seeing that Dr. Ehrlich's uh, predictions, none, virtually none of them came true. And a whole generation, my generation was panicked about population, the population bomb. Um, these future worries, uh, there's no reason why we should be imprudent, uh, you know, we're not counseling imprudence, but often, especially given the way media works to try to get us to click on or turn on their programming, these, these worries are greatly exaggerated. They certainly would they were exaggerated after Paul Ehrlich published the really foolish book, The Population Bomb. Yeah, and we we've just we're just told that that's fact, and and it wasn't even fact, and it's never been fact in his own lifetime, and it's still not fact. I mean, Paul Ehrlich, he was an entomologist. He studied bugs. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he was an excellent entomologist, but. Um, he, I mean, he predicted America would be hit by a widespread famine in the late 1970s. I mean, there's a lot of negative things you could say about the 70s, but the fact that the, the idea that America horrible. had some widespread famine is not one of them. And so, yeah. Right. Right. But I do think we're, we're raising our children with these anxieties because there's something weird about the media uh, preferring – well, I don't know if it's that weird, actually. It kind of just makes sense. They preferring panic over reasoned, uh, prudent uh, – preparation for the future. Yeah. And there's this, this sad history of, in the environmental movement of being connected. Um, Father Richard John Newhouse did this back when, before he was a Catholic. And I think he was still fairly communist, actually, when he wrote this book. But he wrote this book on population where he showed how you could find this environmentalist rhetoric that was always connected to aristocracy. Um, it, it's oh. there's a, was always something a little bit anti-human in the environmental movement, where you know you had pe- like super rich people like Ted Turner back in the day, and you know who who owned he owned at one point as much l- land that was almost like the size of the state of Wyoming. Yeah, and he was this diehard population control environmentalist, what you kind of got the sense is like he didn't want too many people cluttering up his view or something. You know, it's just <laughs> so we have to we have to be willing to examine those ideas and see like what might be lying underneath. Yeah, there's a profound anti-humanism in in the kind of uh, environmentalism, I mean, you know, we the Pope, our Pope now is counseling us to love nature and to take care of nature, and God bless him for that. But the kind of environmentalism that says weird things like humans are a virus on the face of the earth, we're actually a disease that's destroying the earth, that's profoundly anti-human. Yeah, exactly. We'll take a quick break, right back with more on eugenics with our guest, Dr. Angela Franks. This is Archbishop Paul Coakley of the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City, and you're listening to Catholic Answers Live. Do you love praying for people? Have you ever wanted to use your gift of prayer to share Jesus with others and build up the body of Christ? Start a public prayer station with St. Paul Street Evangelization. Listen to people's needs, pray with them, or invite them to meet you at church. St. Paul Street Evangelization can help you get started. Find out how at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. E. 
EWTN, communicating the faith. Falling away Catholic uh, years and years ago, doing my own thing, and my mom and dad never gave up on me, and I know it was the Holy Rosary. And they kept after me, Philip, pray your rosary, and eventually I did. I'm a member of the Knights of the Immaculata, Maximilian Colby's group. I'm with the Legion of Mary, and I haven't stopped leading the rosary in nursing homes, thanks be to God. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. And uh, I have to say, as a Catholic, uh, one of the things that I, 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 I suppose, find encouraging about the Holy Spirit as the guide and leader of the church is that uh, on some of these uh, really modern, uh, nutty ideas like eugenics, uh, the church has been the one who's been there to say, come on. Come back, come back to reality. And uh, our guest, uh, Dr. Angela Franks, is one of those people. She teaches theology at St. John's Seminary in Boston, and she's here to talk with us about uh, foolish ideas like eugenics, not just foolish, uh, but in in many ways uh, destructive and even evil ideas. Uh, You're welcome to call 888-318-7884. Up next, we go to Lincoln, Nebraska. Listening on Spirit Catholic Radio is Arturo. Arturo, your question, please, for Dr. Angela Franks. Hi, good afternoon. Um, a few minutes ago, I um, I heard a comment about eugenics not being related to racism. Kind of uh, put me to think a little bit about that specific uh, perspective. Because if we think about it, in reality, it's not the skin what makes us consider some other human beings different than us. That, uh, But in reality, people with disabilities, you know, consider different. Oh. That is some type of racism that is included there. Um, because if you think about it, all of us, as in general, we are a race. We are a human race. Now, the color of the intention of our skin is different, but in reality, people, disconnecting people that practice eugenics from racism, I think it's giving them, being too, uh, I think being too kind to them. Why? Because I think uh, in reality, uh, having uh, problems with some specific characteristics of race, disregarding uh, what kind of a pigmentation of the skin is, includes racism for being different, in this case, disabled. So I kind of disagree a little bit with all due respect, of course, um, but it, in my heart, I feel that it's correlated with racism you, that includes, eugenics is correlated with racism, Arturo. That yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Franks. Sure. Yeah. You're you're absolutely allowed to disagree with me, Arturo. No problem. Um, yeah. But you get so, a lower grade, Arturo. I just want you to know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, my students would feel that fear for sure. Um, so the the my point is that historically, um, when people were so when people are are eugenists, are you, are eugenicists. They, um, say that some people are not as worthy of human beings based on a set of characteristics that they think are in the genes. And so what differs among eugenicists is what those characteristics are. In other words, where, what their criteria is. And so some, some eugenicists, um, are completely focused on race. And it's like race kind of is 
all that they think about when they think about eugenics. Other people, and really Sanger, to my mind, was actually more in the second category. Other people are really focused, hyper-focused on disability, intelligence, and poverty. And race is an afterthought or not really there at all. And part of this is because we have to realize we think of, because we of the Nazis, we think of all eugenicists as being like arch right wingers. Um, but in fact, Sanger's crowd were really very left wing. I mean, they, you know, people use the word progressive, but this was like the progressive era in the early 1900s. And they were like completely in that progressive mode of promoting, you know, a lot of them were part of the Communist Party and um, were promoting sexual revolution. And, and people like that tended to consider themselves very racially progressive as well and actually didn't talk that much about race. Now, the fact that Sanger was concerned about the poor, though, of course, means that in fact, the people she was targeting were racial minorities in America, like, you know, as well as poor whites. So, um, so in fact, on the ground, um, generally racial minorities get impacted by any eugenic program. Um, it's more a matter of what people are emphasizing. Uh, thank you, Arturo. I appreciate uh, the call. Uh, where are we going? Uh, let's go to John in Omaha, Nebraska. Another call from Nebraska, also listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. John, go ahead with your question for Dr. Angela Franks. Hi, Dr. Franks, and Cy. Uh, Hi, John. Related to Margaret Sanger, um, in her one of her books and the interviews with Mike Wallace that's on YouTube, she refers to blacks and minorities as the weeds of the of the earth. Um, and I, I kind of got the conception that she was a Nazi, but uh, that's maybe just my perception. But in in my dealings with a, an older black woman who I worked with and loved working with a lot, we're still really good friends. Um, I was amazed, and so was she, uh, that I exposed her to Margaret Sanger and the Planned Parenthood uh, beginnings, and um, she had no idea uh, of this woman's plight against the black people, and then obviously the political parties that supported uh, Margaret Sanger, and she was stunned that uh, this was not only hidden, but nobody had ever really put it out there and tried to expose it. Is there a way we can still do that today? And, well, and you're doing it, it, John, at, at the moment. Uh, you uh, you are. I mean, Planned Parenthood has killed more black people than any other institution in the history of the United States. I don't think there's any dispute about that. Uh, and and uh, a lot of that was intentional. Uh, Dr. Franks, how do you respond to John? Yeah. Um, so, say, so on the historical question about saying, are she... Um, she voted communist most of her life when she voted in presidential elections. Um, and so, and she, in fact, I think her books were burned in Nazi Germany. So, um, so she definitely never considered herself a Nazi. Um, she did not, so I don't remember in the Wallace interview that she talked about um, blacks as weeds, but I'm, you know, it's been a while since I've looked at it. But I, um, I didn't remember it either, Dr. Franks. I remember watching that interview several times. I don't remember that in that interview. Yeah, there, there's a an internet quote, sort of pseudo quote floating around where she says that blacks are weeds that need to be eliminated or something like that. And that that is not 
um, found in any of her writings. And she, I mean, she really, she, as far as blacks were concerned, she considered herself racially progressive. Now she did have this Negro project and there's a letter that's quoted from that where she says, you know, we, we don't want word to get out that, um, we are trying to eliminate, I think that's the word used, the, the Negro population and their minister, the, you know, the colored minister is the man to straighten the, their, congregations out. And that's really the only kind of smoking gun, (laughs) except the problem is it's really hard to interpret because it's not clear if she's saying we want to eliminate their populations and we don't want them to figure it out. Or if she's saying we don't want to eliminate their populations and so we don't want them to misunderstand. And so it's actually very so it's it's to my mind, it's actually an insoluble question whether it, it just the evidence to my mind points that she didn't really think of blacks in the terms of being the unfit. Um, but so all that said, like ha- as as has already been said, Planned Parenthood has been enormously destructive to the minority community, literally destructive because it's it's whole it's it's in its DNA to target the poor. That's that's what Sanger created it for was to target the poor and to bring them the kind of sexual liberation that she herself personally experienced and thought was fantastic. And she was very naive about any bad effects of this, of this kind of behavior. Um, and so what Planned Parenthood's done that, right? And it's, it's, instead of providing real solutions to poverty, to disability, to relationship abuse, you know, I mean, there was, there's been a number of, um, it's been documented where Planned Parenthood has suggested to girls who have said that they're in relationships with older men, that's essentially um, um, statutory rape, that, you know, there's been um, conversations recorded where Planned Parenthood has basically said, we'll give you the abortion. Well, what does that mean? She goes right back into this relationship, right? Like, so they're not solving anybody's problems. All they're doing is killing people's babies. And what's left are all the problems that were there before. And so, yeah, it's absolutely the case that Planned Parenthood is 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 not the friend of racial minorities. Thanks, John. Uh, appreciate that. Dr. Angela Franks is our guest. Uh, you, you might want to get her uh, book. Where, where uh, you're, uh, Let me get, go to the... the t- <laughs> I forgot the title of the second book again. Margaret Sanger's Eugenic Legacy is the the one that I do remember, The Control of Female Fertility, uh, and uh, th- where you cover a great deal of what we've just discussed. The other book is? Contraception and Catholicism. I'm going to learn that and remember it uh, next time. Um, give us some hope. Uh, how can we today battle this, con- this, not contraceptive, but eugenic mentality that's coming up again? Yeah, uh, the one of the best ways to do it is to for first of all people like we had today on this call for people who have disabilities or um, serious illnesses or for parents who are raising kids with disabilities to talk about how these are valued wonderful human beings who have a disease or a disability, but they're not simply defined by disease or disability. I think that's really important. Um, And I think praying for people in these situations and then supporting pro-life organizations and pro-life causes that are really working to change our laws. Uh, Thanks to everybody who called. Dr. Angela Franks, thank you so much. I really appreciate that you took the time to do this hour with us. 
Thank you. Uh, uh, The Catholic vision is a beautiful uh, vision rooted in Christ, our Savior, who loves every single person, no matter their condition, their age, their color, their faith. Uh, And we do have to fight and get away from this eugenics mentality. Coming up next, we're going to talk about your death. We're going to talk about the Catholic practice of memento mori, remembering your death each day so that you will live your life to the fullest. We'll do that right after this on Catholic Answers Live.